Welcome to week three, The Church in Exile. We are broadcasting live from the beautiful, immaculate studios at Harvard 301 Harvard Drive. Um, I want to just give, uh, give thanks to these seven individuals that are here in the studio, um, studio, we'll call it a studio, <laughs> here in the church with us that have been uh, sort of making this happen, uh, the music team here and Brian and then some of the folks here behind, behind the scenes. This is a lot of work. If you could see right now what I see, the amount of technical gear and lighting and everything that is, that's up in place, it's, it's astonishing. And these, these folks, they have volunteered, emphasis volunteered their time every week to come and to do this. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm honored uh, just to be a part of that team. And if you want in the comment thread, just give a, give a shout out of thanks to, to these guys that are doing that. Um, here um, this morning. So again, welcome from, um, from, from King's Church. You're getting settled into your, your morning there at your house or wherever you might happen to be. It's a beautiful day. It's the Sabbath day, the Lord's Day. This is Palm Sunday. This is a season. Boy, this is an unprecedented season, isn't it? I, I honestly thought when all this started a few weeks ago that we would be back on site if not by today, then, then certainly by next week. That was, that was my anticipation. I communicated that to our staff and we kind of made plans to be on site for Easter. It's clear that that's not the case. None of us could have foreseen. And I, I know none of us in our lifetime have seen uh, quite the, the, uh, the scope of uncertainty and the scope of paralysis that seems to have gripped our nation. And um, it's... Uh, it's, it's, it's unusual for us, but I don't, it's certainly not unusual for, for the Lord. And I do believe this, because we've been praying and we've been communicating a lot, especially in 2019, about revival. Even I know many have prophesied this, that 2020 would be a year of revival. We still believe that. Um, I, don't, I, I don't recall hearing any prophetic words last year about a plague, a global plague coming. Um, however, I think that the two are tied together. I think that, that um, the Lord is doing... He's doing a great shaking. He's doing a great, um, a great pruning work in the world and in homes and in hearts and in churches especially um, in anticipation of revival. And the thing, when, when the Lord comes and when the Lord shakes, um, you know, it, it's like an earthquake. Those that, that, are, that are not solid will fall. And really that which is lasting and tested and true will, will be remaining. Um, there's a question that's kind of been circulating around in the last um, several weeks, several days regarding COVID-19 and regarding everything that's happening. And the question is this, is this, is this a judgment from God? Is, is, is all of everything that's what's happening, is this a judgment from the Lord? And uh, I know, you know, even some in our church, have heard, we've kind of talked about this back and forth and shared some different insights. I, I'm not going to give you my answer to that, um, but I will give two or three sort of two or three observations on that idea. And the first is this: um, number one, judgment is meant for our good. We know that biblically. We know that scripturally. We know, first of all, that God judges. That's that's a given. That God judges the world, that God judges his people, not just in the end, during the judgment day, you know, that we all kind of hear about in Sunday school, but even through history, God brings seasons of judgment to the earth. And those seasons of judgment are always meant 
meant for the good of the world. They're always meant for the good of God's people. And usually it's because God's people, we get ourselves in a funk, we get stuck, we start doing things that are, that are contrary to God's heart, contrary to God's law, we lose our way. You know, we don't listen to the words of the Lord, we don't listen to his revelation, and we get off track, and God says, look, I, I've got to shake your foundations to get your attention. So I do believe that that's the case, is that, that assuming that there is a, there's an element of judgment in all of this, it is certainly meant for our good, to bring us back to places of, of faithfulness and righteousness. Um, I also believe this, that God is slow to judge, he is slow to anger and quick to show mercy. He is, he is slow to bring about things that, that, that bring about death and destruction and difficulty in the world. He will do it, I believe. I, I'm convinced of it. But he is slow to do that, and he is quick. He is quick to show mercy. He is quick to, with, even, with, even in the midst of judgment, God is quick to withdraw his hand of judgment and to show mercy and repentance. And I, I believe that that's the case as well. And here's the third thing that, I, that I'm convinced of. When Jesus came to the earth, he came to judge. Now, that's, that's not a popular thing to say. Um, it's, it seems that the, the, that the trend today is to talk about, you know, when, 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 when the world talks about Jesus, we talk about Jesus, what is, what is one of the first things that we quote Jesus is saying? If you go out to somebody in the street, tell us about Jesus, you know, they'll say, oh, well, Jesus taught us what? Thou shalt not judge. Don't judge. That's, that's sort of like, you know, one of, the, one of these trump cards that, that everybody wants to play about what Jesus said. Jesus, he doesn't want us to judge one another. Don't, you know, and, and, and in reality, that, that's not the biblical message. That's really not the story of Jesus here on the earth. In reality, he, Jesus did come to show mercy. He did come to show love and grace. He did come to teach us to, to love our neighbor as ourselves. Th those are all true. But he also came to bring, to bring judgment, to, to bring a decree, a decision, a verdict about the state of affairs of men and to bring judgment on that. And I, I want us, I know it's unpopular on Palm Sunday. This is like, this is Easter egg season, right? This is when we sing uplifting songs and we put on our best dress and, and we do all these things. It's not real popular to talk about judgment. I can't help it though, because I believe this is what God has brought me to um, in the last few weeks, this, this idea of the difficult words of Jesus. If, church, if we want to be faithful about following Jesus, then we need to take everything that he says. We need to receive the good with the difficult. Amen? You with me on that? We need to receive the easy things, you know, the, 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 all, the, the stuff that's very palatable, but we also have to take the stuff that's really difficult for us to hear. And I'll admit, some of the, many of the words of Jesus are difficult for me to hear because it cuts against the grain of, you know, how I am and how I've been raised in the culture that I live in. So I want us to jump in um, to the story of, uh, of, um, that we're familiar with, the, what, what, traditionally what we call the triumphal entry. We call it that. It's, it's this season of Jesus' ministry where um, he, is, he, is coming in, he is coming into Jerusalem for the final time. We're entering into the Passover season uh, this week and in the days to come, this, uh, this season where, where uh, all the Jews would be gathering together in Jerusalem for this incredible festival, the Fe Feast of Unleavened Bread and Passover. Um, and Jesus, of course, would have been here for this season as well. Um, we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark in the, um, in the, 11th, in the 11th chapter. Let's go ahead and flip there here. 
Now let me give you a little bit of a background to this. During, during this time, the, the, during the Passover season in Jerusalem, the population of Jerusalem has exponentially grown from just several thousand people to now several hundred thousand people would be gathered in Jerusalem during this week. The reason being that the Passover was still one of the, one of the seven Jewish festivals that require um, every Jewish male from, from the nation of Israel to come together to celebrate this. Many of the other pa- uh, festivals could be celebrated where you are, but the Passover was one of the big ones. It was a time where you gather your family, you make your way to, uh, to Jerusalem to celebrate this. So the population has grown. Word about Jesus has gotten out. He's now been ministering for three, three years or so. And uh, he has a reputation in the land of being a, a provocateur, of being uh, somebody who has authority that the other religious leaders don't have. He, and not only does he have authority as a teacher, he also is a, is a miracle worker. He's doing signs and wonders. He is doing these incredible things that are getting the attention, uh, not just of the people that are gathering around him, but also of the religious leaders of the day. Um, and, he's, and Jesus has been very polarizing during these three years. There are many who love him, many that are just enamored with Jesus because he is certainly crossing cultural divides. He is, he is bridging that gap. He's reaching out to lepers and the poor and the outcasts and the marginalized in society. He's doing all these things. He's loving on people in the way that they've never been loved on before. Um, but there's a, this other group of people that are just offended by him because he is not of the religious elite. He is not you know, qualified and um, as far as they're concerned. So Jesus is very polarizing. Even today, he's very polarizing. You know, people either, either love him, you know, the ones that really truly are looking at his life, they either love him or they say, no, this is not the one for me. So Jesus is coming into Jerusalem now at a, at a, at a, at a period where there is not only exponentially more people in Jerusalem, but there is, an ex, there is this heightened frenzy uh, this, this messianic expectation that has just reached a fever pitch. It's reached a boiling point. And the word has gotten out that this Jesus of Nazareth very well could be the one that they've been expecting to come and to restore, na- restore the nation, restore the throne of Israel, to cast off the oppression of the Romans, and to restore Israel to its glory. They want a Messiah. They think, Jesus, you seem to be it. You've got power, you've got authority, you've got a following, you've got these disciples. When you stand up and speak, everybody listens to you. You, Jesus, you are going to be the next king. And now that he's coming in to Jerusalem during this expectation, the crowds are lining the street. They're lining the road leading from Bethany into Jerusalem. They're lining there and they're, they're, they're throwing down palm branches. It's symbolic. They're throwing down, they're taking off their, uh, the, the, their outer garments and laying them down. And they're all singing this Hillel, this, this um, song from Psalm 118, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's, that's been their expectation for hundreds of years. There is someone who is coming in the name of the Lord to set things right, to set us free, to restore, to, 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 to be on our side, to cast off this oppression, to reign again uh, on the throne of David like he, like he could. So he comes in. We're not going to read that story, but it's, but it's an incredible thing. He, he doesn't come in riding on this strong thoroughbred kind of horse like any king would. That's how kings should come into their territory. They should come in with this retinue, with this long army behind them. They should be riding on this strong, this strong, you know, this incredible animal with, with, with their army, with, with their retinue behind them. Jesus doesn't do that. He comes in not on a strong horse. He comes on on a lowly colt, on a lowly donkey, fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. 
and he comes in and the people are clamoring. But I want us to pay attention to what happens next in this story. So let's go here to, uh, to Mark 11, if you're there with me. I want us to read uh, really just one verse and stay on that for, for a few minutes. It says this. Uh, verse 11, Mark 11, 11, it says this, after, after he comes in, after the crowds, it says, Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. You guys, that's, that's really anticlimactic. That's really unusual, you know, because it's like there's all this celebration, there's all this commotion, and everybody's watching Jesus. And it says this, it says that he goes into the temple, he looks around, and he said, and for some reason he decides, okay, this is not the season, this is not the time, it's already late. What does he do? He doesn't stay there. He turns around and he leaves the city again and he goes back out to where he came from just a few hours before. Pay attention to that word temple. That's important. That's an important thing. What he does in this one verse is hugely important. That means that he goes in with intentionality, he goes into Jerusalem, headed for the temple. What am I going to find when I get there? What am I going to see when I go into God's most holy place? And Mark, uh, the gospel writer Mark, is, is all about the temple. He uses the temple as this sort of sim- symbolic, you know, this, this imagery all throughout his gospel. The temple represents everything. It's not just a building for Mark. The temple is sort of, it's the epitome of the Jewish religion. It's the epitome of, of this righteousness of God's own people. It's not just a building. It is, the, it is the very spiritual life, the heartbeat of God's people in the nation of Israel. So Jesus comes in, goes to the temple, doesn't find what he's looking for, apparently, and he goes home. The next morning, we're getting into this now. The next day, verse 12. As they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say this. I got to tell you, this is bizarre. This, this has confused me for the longest. I don't, I, don't, I don't know what to make of this. You know, it, This is one of those things where like if I... If I were Jesus' PR guy, I would, and I was talking to the, to the writers of this about what to include, I would say, guys, guys, don't include this. It's like Jesus is, it's like he's hangry, you know? It's like he needs a snack, and he's just tired and angry, and, he's, and he sees this fig tree in the distance. You guys ever, you guys have fig trees at your house? We've got one. It's in a container. It's in a potted plant on our back patio. We nurtured this thing through the winter. Um, and actually, early on in like September or so, it actually grew little tiny figs. It was the strangest thing. Little figs were growing in like September, October. And then um, I guess, I don't know what happened. But anyway, now it's outside. It's growing. It's blooming. There's no fruit on it. Anyway, Jesus sees this tree. He sees a fig tree. He's hungry. He says, I'm going to go over there and see what I can find. He goes over there. The Bible says he finds nothing. He's, it's in leaf. He doesn't find any fruit. It's not the season for it. And he curses the fig tree. He curses it. And he goes on his way. So let's pause right here. We're meant, we're meant to see this as something deeper than just he's having a bad day. He needs a snack. You know, it's like the Snickers commercials where like the guy turns into something else because he needs a Snicker bar. That's not what's happening here. Mark doesn't include, Mark, Mark this, is, this is a pointed thing. This is an intentional thing. And we're meant to see this right next to what happens next. And we're going to read that right now. 
So there's two things. There's two, there's these two episodes. One is about the tree. Here's the second one right here. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts. So that's where he was last night. He went into the temple courts, didn't find what he was looking for. And he goes in now on day two. He goes back. Listen to this. He begins driving out those who are buying and selling there. It's like, Jesus, you really should have had your snack, man. What's going on with you? You're like having a blood sugar meltdown. You didn't get the fig. Now you're mad about that. He goes into the temple. Not really. I'm being facetious. He goes in. He begins driving out those who are buying and selling there. I want you to get a vision for this. John, John includes something else. John says that he went and he intentionally fashioned a cord, a whip. And he began to use this whip and he began to drive these things out, drive, drive these people out. A little bit about the temple. The temple was, by the way, it was a monstrous affair. Um, the temple, of course, you know, Solomon's temple had been, um, had been destroyed. It was rebuilt in 586 or so uh, by Zerubbabel following their return from Babylon. It was renovated by King Herod around 1920 B.C. And so by the time of Jesus, this was, this was an incredible place. This, if you've ever been to the Temple Mount, you'll know it's a big thing. Like the, the whole complex is about 35 acres. That's a big place. The Temple Mount is a monstrous place. And the temple proper is, has these sort of three successive courtyards um, that are all available for people. The, 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 the courtyard closest to the temple proper is reserved only for the men of Israel. And then the one after that is available for, uh, for both men and women of the Jewish faith. And then finally out here, the, the one farthest away is, 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 is a courtyard for the Gentiles. And basically anybody that's, if you're not of the Jewish faith and you still are a God-fearer and you want to come in, this is where you can go. This is designed for everyone else. Only God's chosen come up, come up here. This is, for, this is for all the nations. And, and by, the time of Je- by the time of Jesus... This outer courtyard was, um, was cacophonous. It was filled with just a flurry of activity. Um, and especially around the time of Passover, you know, it wasn't real, it wasn't, it wasn't convenient. If you're, if you're a family traveling from, you know, several hours or several days away, you're not going to bring your animal sacrifices with you. That's kind of messy. What are you going to do? You're, you're going to buy your stuff there. You're going to go to the temple and say, hey, I need this animal, I need this, I need this, and you're going to buy those animals um, and, or perhaps, you, you know, you need, you need to come and you need to make your offerings. Um, and you're, you're not going to give, you know, Roman coins, which is what commonly was used. You want to use, you know, the, the ones that don't have this graven image of, of Caesar on it. So you need to exchange your money, basically. And all this stuff was happening there in this court of the Gentiles, you know, on, on a daily basis. It was just buying and selling and noise and haggling and squawking and the smell and all this stuff. And Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus goes into this place and he immediately begins to drive them out. He flips over tables. He goes in. And I, 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 even in my imagination, I simply, I simply can't visualize the full expression of what this looks like. Was he, was he raising his voice? I don't know. Was he doing it quietly? I don't know. One day I'll know. One day we'll, we'll get to see back in time you know, what, what it was like. But obviously it was so disruptive and it was so offensive to everyone. Knocking tables over scattering money, taking the pens of animals, opening them up, scattering pigeons, scattering doves, animals running free, people yelling, people screaming, people fighting, people cursing at Jesus. And it says this, he overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone 
to carry merchandise through the temple courts. Imagine Jesus just like blocking it, just getting in their way. This is the peaceful Jesus, right? This is the one who says, don't judge. This is the one who says, love your neighbor. Jesus is like getting in their way saying, you're not coming in another foot, buddy. That's the Jesus of the gospel in this story. And as he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it into a den of thieves. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. So there's two, there's two stories that we're meant to see side by side. There's the story, this, this event of the cursing of the tree, and there's this event that we could even say this is the cursing of the temple. The tree and the temple, we're meant to see these together. In fact, these together are two expressions of one intentional act of Jesus. I told you at the beginning, Jesus brings judgment. That's exactly what he's doing here. I remember uh, several years ago when Meg and I were visiting the city of New Orleans. If you've ever been to New Orleans, down in the French Quarter, New Orleans is an amazing place. It's an, it's an amazing city. Um, it's got so much culture and so much heritage, you know, and it has so much darkness. It's profound how spiritually dark that city is. And I remember walking through, uh, the, um, through, that, through that downtown French Quarter area, and there in the middle is, this, is, the, is the building, this cathedral, St. Louis Cathedral, right there in the heart of the city. It's this incredible incredible gothic building, uh, still, still a functioning church. But I remember sort of going in and touring, it's weird to say that, touring the church, you know, go in and you can make a little donation and see, and if you make a big enough donation, you can have a candle you know, lit for you. I remember walking out of St. Louis Cathedral, down the steps, there, not 10 feet in front of the steps, were this array, probably three or four uh, of these sort of street vendors out in front of me with their blankets, but they weren't just selling things. These were fortune tellers. These were tarot card readers. These were ones who, who would sort of come in and they would, you know, offer to, and it's, it, it was just such a juxtaposition in my mind to have the house of God, the presence of God in this city, and not a few feet away have these the, 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 this, this fortune tellers and tarot card readers, you know. In the one sense, you know, this is, by some standards, this really represents empty religion. You know, I, I don't know what all has happened here. But as people leave this, there's another answer waiting for them. Hey, basically saying, hey, friends, if you don't get what you're looking for there, let me give you another answer right here. And I wonder if Jesus is sort of feeling that same sense of anxiety when he walks into the temple, knowing that the, the purpose of the temple was not just to be a building to come and to do business. This is not a place where we do transactions. This is not a spiritual bank where we come in and we do transactions. This is meant to be the very presence of God in the middle of the people. And he brings judgment. And we, we, how we interpret it, let's look at the tree and then we're going we're to kind of move on from this. The temple is like the tree. The tree is meant to have fruit. Let me talk a little bit about this. 
at first glance, it seems that Jesus is being unrealistic. But scholars say there's something about this that we need to pay attention to. When he comes, um, by the way, during this part of the season, the vast majority of fig trees are not going to have much at all on them. Much, you know, especially not fruit, many are not going to have leaves whatsoever. So when Jesus comes, he sees this. This is an early bloomer. This tree is sort of like ahead of the curve. It's like they're the forerunner of the other. This tree is like the forerunner. This is the first one out of the gate. This one is ahead of its time. It already has leaves coming out of it, and it should have the beginnings of signs of fruit. If it has leaves, it should have the beginnings of signs of fruit that the others don't have. So when Jesus sees this, he says, that is a tree that should have the signs of fruit. I know this because it has leaves on it, and I know that if it has leaves, it's going to have the beginning of fruit. He goes and he looks for that. He doesn't find it. And he says, this has the appearance of being a fruitful tree, but there's nothing happening here. And he curses it. It has every appearance of being fruitful uh, and, and, and productive, but, there's, but, it's, but it's, it doesn't have fruit now, and it's not going to have fruit in the season to come. And that's the judgment that he's going to bring upon the temple here in a moment. The temple is like the tree. It's meant to show fruit. It's meant to show productivity. But after centuries of, of, of worship and ritual, it has nothing at all to show for it. And he goes into the temple and he realizes that this is, um, that after all these years, this, this system has failed to create, failed to make a holy people. And this is not a surprise to him. This has been the plan all along. The temple was never meant to create a holy people. The sacrificial system was never meant to make a holy people. It couldn't do that. You know, the blood of lambs never could make us righteous. The blood of goats never, and, and, and a bulls never could atone for our sin in, in the full way. And Jesus knows, look, I, there needs to be a new system inaugurated, a new sacrifice inaugurated. We need to tear down the old and raise up the new. And for centuries, this temple has represented this old covenant, this old way of, of making ourselves right before the Lord. If we go through the motions, if we do our ritual, if we say the right things, if we sing the right songs, you know, if we dress the right way and recite the right liturgy, then God's going to be honored with us. You know? and, and he comes in and he, and, he, and he brings this and he says, look, by all appearances, temple, by all appearances, Jewish people, you should be righteous. You know, you, we're, we're in the middle of Passover. There's this incredible festivities happening. All of you are going to be going through the Passover festival. You're going to be, you know, sacrificing the, 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 the Passover lamb there at your own house. You're going to be singing the songs. Just a few minutes ago, they were all worshiping, singing Psalm 118, the Hillel. And, and, and Jesus says, there's, there's the, there are the leaves of righteousness. There's the appearance of righteousness, but there's no real fruit here. And he begins and he says, all of this, this, he says, this court of Gentiles, this is an example of what I'm talking about. This place was supposed to be open for all the nations. All the nations can't come into the most holy place. That's reserved for, for, for my chosen people. But I'd set aside a special place that even the farthest of the nations could come and pray and worship. But you have pushed them out with all of this materialism and greed and religiosity. And it begins to drive them out, bringing judgment to them. So the tree and the temple both, these are not just sort of reactions out of anger. These are premeditated and deliberate expressions of his judgment. And I believe that's why he comes in. 
And he looks around, he says, is this the right time for me to, 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 to provoke this judgment here in the sight of all the people? That first night wasn't it. Comes back the next day, this is the time. And it begins with willful defiance to disrupt everything that they thought about. And even in his words, even the things he's talking about, he, he gives this prophetic word that this temple one day is going to be destroyed. It's going to be torn down to the very, torn down to the foundations. But he also gives this very cryptic, he says, if you tear down this temple in three days, I'll raise it back up. He's not talking about the physical temple, he's talking about himself. He himself is the temple now. He himself is the presence of God. He, 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 he curses this old way, and he's going to be enacting a new way in himself. So no longer would the temple be the center of Jewish religious life. In fact, in 70 AD, the temple was destroyed by Roman invasion. It was burned to the ground. And even more significant, no longer would the old covenant be the means for people being made right with God. So what does Jesus want us to understand in this? There are two things that I want, I think his, he wants his church to understand. The first is this. We, you and I, we will be judged by fruits of righteousness. We will be judged according to the fruits of righteousness that we bear in our own lives. And it would be, you know, it'd be great if that wasn't the case, right? It'd be great if, if like the, the, the sum of our faith was simply praying the sinner's prayer and doing our own thing. Wouldn't that be easy? Right? It would be so easy just to like pray the prayer and just say the thing and then go on and live our own way, knowing that we got our ticket to heaven. But that's not, that's not scriptural Christianity. That's not what the Word says. You know? And it's, this is a, first of all, this is a warning, a prophetic warning to the church. Jesus is giving a warning to the church that's saying, be mindful, be mindful of empty religious expression. Be mindful of having leaves but no fruit. And I, I can tell you, I'm convinced that even in our culture, this is probably more the trend than we want it to be. This is more, the, the, the expression of, religi of religion in our, in, is, is probably more leaf than fruit. You know, if you were to pull people on the street, the majority of Americans would say, yes, I am a, I am a Christian. And what they mean is that I, I, I hold to a particular you know, general set of beliefs that there is a God and there is Jesus and he uh, is going to take me to heaven one day. And that's sort of the sum of it. But Jesus says, I am not looking for the leaves. I'm looking for the, is there fruit in your life? Are you a holy people in the way that I want you to be? And it's, this, is, this is a warning for me. And I was, I was even thinking about this last night. I was waking up in the middle of the night just thinking about this, saying, God, please don't, don't allow me to neglect the fruit of righteousness in my own life. When he comes, when he comes, and that's what we read first of all, it says that he comes into the temple and looks, when he comes and he looks at the temple of my own heart, what's he going to find? When he comes and looks at the temple of your heart, what's he going to find there? Is he going to find sort of just this intellectual assent to things that are true? You know, like I'm a Christian, sort of like I'm a Republican, or I'm a Christian, sort of like, you know, I, I belong to, to this, or I go to this favorite restaurant, and this is my... Uh, or is there, is, there, is there an internal reality where, where, where I know that my life is now not my own, my righteousness, and that brings to the second thing that I want, think he wants us to do, that the only source for righteousness, the only source for your rightness in life, is not sort of these expressions of religiosity. That's worthless, says Jesus. 
The only true source for righteousness is the cross of Jesus Christ. That's it. And he's going to show us that. He's going to come in. He's going to curse the temple. He's going to curse the old system. It's going to be torn down. He says, let me show you the new way. The new way is you can't be righteous on your own. Let me say that again. You, you son, you daughter, you dad, you mom, you cannot be righteous on your own. You cannot possibly be good enough to impress God. God, I don't care how early in the morning you get up. I don't care how much scripture you read. I don't care how much Caleb you listen to. I don't care how many things you can quote. You cannot be righteous enough to find favor with God. But Jesus says that, there, that, that, that he himself is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And this is, this is good news. This is good news, is that I can have righteousness with, I can have good standing with God because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he's coming to make a new way for that. And here's the cool thing, is that the good news is we don't, we don't need a temple. You know what? We don't need this building here. It's beautiful. We're thankful for it. You know, it meets a lot of needs. It enables us to come together. But it's just a building, you guys. That's all it is. It's just brick and mortar and stuff and equipment. That's all it is. And one day, one day, this building is going to fall to the ground. Hopefully not anytime soon and hopefully not when I'm in it. But one day, it and everything else on the world is going to be consumed with the judgment fire of God. So what's going what's to last? The temple inside of my heart and of your heart. That's where, that's where God has, has, has designed himself to be. That's, that's why Jesus comes on the cross. Not just to give you a ticket. God has come to make a place for himself to dwell inside your innermost being. Look at what it says in Revelation 21.3. It says this, Jesus, it said, I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, listen to this. I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, from the throne saying, now, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. This has been God's heart all along. God's heart all along has not been to, to reside in buildings, not to, rely, to reside in religious systems, but to reside in, 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 in the innermost part, the inner life of you and I. And when that's a reality, guess what happens? We bear fruit of righteousness. That's what's awesome, is that bearing fruit is sort of an outcome. It's a byproduct. You know, I don't, I don't go out to my garden and I don't look at it and say, come on, guys, you can do it. You can grow today. Come on, little tomato. You know, they're, they're not, all they're focusing on doing, if they're focused, I don't know, maybe they're not focusing. They're, they're, are they sentient beings? Probably not. All they're concerned about is their roots going down, getting nourishment from the soil, and getting light from the sun. That's all they have to worry about. And the fruit is the byproduct. It's the outcome. It's the overflow. What if the same is true of you and I? What if we stop worrying so much about this religious expression and start saying, what, is, what, what am I feeding my heart on? What, what, you know, am, am I abiding? Am I dwelling in the presence of God? Am my roots going deeper into an awareness of His love, an awareness of His goodness? Am I soaking up the light of the sun on a daily basis? So we're, we're going to be judged by fruits of righteousness. We do believe in judgment. 
We do believe that one day God will come and God will examine our lives and what we have done. Yes, there is a large degree of works. You know, the end of Matthew talks about that. And when he separates the sheep from the goats, that separation has little to do with doctrine, has more to do with what we did do or did not do. That's not works gospel, but there is a reality that that we manifest this inward reality by how we live externally. If If the root is not there, the fruit is not going to be there either. So we will be judged by the truth, by, by, by our fruits of righteousness, and the only source for that is it's, it's the person of Jesus. It's the cross of Christ. And that's good news. That's great news. So what will Christ find when he comes to the temple of your heart? A little bit more to this story here. Verse 20, in the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. And Jesus says, have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes in what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. I'll stop there. So this wraps up with Jesus pointing us back to something that may seem very innocuous. It may seem a little bit off. Why does he point us back to prayer? Whenever we come back, whenever we wrap all this up, why does he, why does he say, why does he point us back to this? Well, I felt like this, what the Spirit of the Lord said to me yesterday was, it's easy for us to misunderstand what prayer is. We, we, we make it into a, an exercise or a discipline, something that we do, right? You guys know what I mean by that? Like we need to do prayer. We, we say a prayer before our meals. We say a prayer before bed. Whenever we need something, we say a prayer. And it's easy for prayer itself to become a religious ritual. But that's not the kind of prayer life that Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the same kind of prayer life that he exhibited in his ministry. It was constant communion intimacy with the Father. You want to know where real fruit comes from? That's it. Being near to God, hearing His voice, walking with Him day after day after day. Receiving His forgiveness, receiving His grace, receiving His restoration, receiving His power, receiving His strength. And Jesus is making a way for that through the blood and through the body. I believe that God is using this season to birth a new crop of fruit in His church. I think this is a pruning season for us. I know I'm not alone in believing that. Are you willing to be pruned? Are you willing to have things cut away from your own life so that you can be more fruitful? I've pruned trees before. It's hard. There are times where I felt like I'm going to kill this tree if I cut any more off. And a master gardener would say, no, cut it away. I promise it will bear more fruit. Are you willing to be pruned? Or are you willing to go deep in this season so that the Lord can manifest himself? We're made for fruit, fruitfulness, church. We're made to come alive. All right. This is one of my, this is something, we're about to do something I've never done before in my life. Virtual communion. This is exciting. I love it. I love that, 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 that the, the body of Christ is not 
we're not bound by proximity. We're not limited by that. We don't have to have the table here. It's been this way all through human history. Underground churches, people in prison, people in difficult places have all been partaking of the body and the blood of Christ. So we're going to do that. We, we encourage you early on to find some elements from your kitchen. It doesn't have to be unleavened bread. It doesn't have to be wine or grape juice. It matters less what it actually is and more that we're receiving the body and the blood of Jesus in faith. So if you don't have those, go ahead and, and, and send someone into the kitchen to grab those right now. Pull them in. Pull your kids in here for these, for these closing minutes. We're going to, Brian, come on up. We're going to move into, into communion time here. I also want to encourage you, if you've got any prayer needs, uh, any, anything, anything we can be praying for you about, would you post those in the comments section? And we're going to be praying for those here momentarily. Anything that we can just lift up as the body of Christ for you, for a loved one, uh, if you're sick, if you've got a, any kind of physical need that you have. Maybe you're just feeling discouraged by everything that's going on and you're wondering, where is God in all of this? What's God doing? Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you're not sure where income is going to come from. I understand that. God is on the move, and he cares for us, and he's not going to forget, and he's not going to abandon us, and he's going to sustain us through this. But he's calling us, be mindful, be mindful of fruitfulness. Be mindful of staying rooted in him and abiding in him. If you've got your, uh, your elements, I've got mine here. Our team has theirs as well. Take your bread or your expression thereof. On the night that he was betrayed, during this season, after he had finished a meal with his disciples, he took the bread and he broke it. And he gave it to him and he said, this is my body that's been broken for you. Eat this and remember me. So go ahead and take the element and go ahead and eat it and serve it to your family. Mm. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your life, Lord Jesus. For that beautiful body born in the womb of Mary. The body that touched the sick and the outcast. That body, those arms that hugged the discouraged. Those hands that healed. Those eyes that looked with compassion. Those beautiful feet that walk from place to place to place announcing the kingdom. Thank you for the body of Christ. Thank you, Jesus. And then he took the cup and he gave it to him and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant which is poured out for you. Drink this in remembrance of me. Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus, the perfect lamb. Thank you for those hands, Lord, that were pierced for our sins. 
Thank you for the side, Lord, that was pierced where blood and water flowed. Thank you for the backs that bore the stripes that brought us healing. Thank you for dying for us, Lord. We're worthy of death. You are not. We were the full expression of sin and rebellion. You were not. We hated our maker. We rebelled against God. You did not. Yet you bled so that we don't have to. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Mm. If you've got prayer, prayers, uh, needs, send those, post those in. We're just going to look over those here. Our church is praying for you. We've been praying for, for you this week. All right. King's Church prayer leaders, if you've got that, you're going to text those over to me. I don't want to miss any of these. Beautiful words, beautiful comments. That's right. Just thank God for the healing that he's been giving. I know many last week that were afflicted with sickness are doing much, much better today. So we thank you for that. Thankful for how you've been restoring, Lord God. I just want to pray for income. I know that many, many of us have, this is, we've never seen this level of uncertainty. Some of you have not worked in weeks. Some of you have been laid off in the last several days. Some of you have filed for unemployment and you're just getting that busy signal on the phone or on the website and you're wondering how in the world is this going to happen? Um, so Father, I just, I, I pray for encouragement, Lord, for those that are just needing income right now. Father, would you minister your encouragement to them, Lord, and would you send resources their way? Send resources their way, Lord God. I pray you would just raise up generosity, raise up generous givers in your church, Lord. Send them our way, send them my way, Lord. I'll be a generous giver. Lord, we want, we want to see your hand of provision in fresh ways, Lord. Amen. If you have a need, financial and you're just you're not able to buy groceries for your kids or something please contact our church let us know about that praise god for these uh for these needs yes we're praying for sherry sherry if you're watching we love you we're praying for you this morning father we just bless we bless the the black family lord for mike and sherry for their for their family lord god Lord, just minister minister healing to her release healing upon her Lord, just shower her with grace. Pour down grace upon her today. In Jesus' name. Mm. 